0: Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Maffiodan. Thanks for tuning in. At the State House, young people and city leaders gather to talk about water conservation, climate change, and how Boston can become a more water-conscious city. It's no secret that effects of climate change have dramatically changed our world. Severe weather events such as droughts and storms, resulting in flooding, have increased in occurrence across the Commonwealth, impacting vulnerable areas like Dorchester and the Seaport. Pendulum swings in our water resources, whether it be in excess or lack, pose huge problems for our city. And on Monday, youth, lawmakers, city officials, water specialists and more met for the 11th annual Water Forum to discuss solutions.
1: With climate change, both urban heat island effect and flooding in the city are set to get worse. The way to tackle that is through vegetation trees and plants and soil, they don't reflect heat back at us, they cool down the space. They also lead to permeable spaces that allow water to find its way to the ground.
2: That way we conserve groundwater, which we very much need. The parking lots, astroturf, those kinds of things all th- throw out the balance, throw things out off balance if you will, and, and that's why it's important that we need to, to maintain the natural ecosystems that Mother Nature has figured out centuries ago. And, and so we, we need to really work hard to, to not have everything covered with asphalt. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't help the environment. It doesn't help you know, sea rise or climate change or, or all of those things. So we want to get back to what nature's figured out many, many years ago. And that is have the water cycle down through and back up, and, and it'll make for a much better system.
0: The event held by Foundation for a Green Future sought to engage students and legislators in a position to make policy change. Keynote speaker Kachikorn Vorakam stressed the importance of her role as a landscape architect in creating natural solutions, highlighting green roofs in a massive park she designed back home in Bangkok, Thailand, which saves a million gallons of rainwater per year.
3: Is right downtown Bangkok. We are flat. We don't have elevation much, so that's why sea level rise is very scary for us. So I tilt the whole park to collect every drop of rain. So when it's flood, it's not gonna flood on the street directly. It's gonna hold the water within the site with the green roof, the retention pond, and the wetland and the retention pond working as one system.
0: Guest speakers also noted that ecological justice must be considered as we look for answers.
1: Boston has some of the most green space of any of any highly urban area in the country, but certain neighborhoods of Boston have the least of any area in the country. We used to have plant cover, tree cover everywhere, and now we don't. Places like the seaport don't have any trees Uh, But there are also deserts in our communities, especially our poorest communities, our blackest communities, our most immigrant communities, that don't have trees, that don't have green life. And that means that climate change affects them even more. The flooding, the heat, and heat affects public safety, it affects uh, public health, it affects physical and mental health, especially for our elders and most vulnerable. We can do things about this. We can have policies that really help us re-greenify all of our communities, and we want to make sure we do that justly. It's
0: clear that we all have a part to play in reducing the effects of climate change and our ability to recognize the cycles of water flow, be mindful of our water usage and create more innovative ways to increase the green we see on a daily basis around us will make the difference. City Life Vida Urbana led another protest in Chelsea on Tuesday to stand up against corporate landlord Groma Properties. It affects the young, the old, and especially low-income communities. Families from all over the city are losing the roofs over their heads by no fault of their own. On Tuesday, a tenants protest was held by Clark Ave Tenant Association in Chelsea to stand up to unfair rent increases and insufficient, unsafe housing.
4: We're facing an eviction. Grandma Properties wants to evict us. They don't want to renew our contract. We've been living with horrible conditions for a while. There was a point where my bathroom roof had a giant hole in it and the leak, the water from the bathroom above would literally splash on me and my kids. Right, I have three young girls, and we do not want to leave Chelsea. Chelsea is our home, and we want to stay here. We want to t- continue to take our girls to school here, and we want to stay here. Right, Chelsea is our home.
0: There's no question about it. Evictions in Boston negatively impact the livelihoods of low-income households. According to a 2023 study by Princeton University's Eviction Lab, eviction rates have increased by 75% in the last year mostly affecting Mattapan, Dorchester, East Boston, and Roxbury. Some believe these evictions target Black and Brown communities in order to push out these groups.
4: We're seeing corporate landlords buy up our neighborhoods and push people out. And the families here at Collegraft Tenant Association, they're fighting for negotiations and they're fighting for dignified homes, right? A dignified home means a landlord being willing to talk, willing to work with the tenant, right? We're here to work together. And what we need is a sensible rent control policy to protect thousands of homes across Massachusetts, to protect them from corporate landlords who are pushing us out of our neighborhoods. Right, we need to stand together and put fight for rent control. The
0: fight against corporate landlord Groma Properties is not just for those who are currently affected, but for those who will face eviction in the future if these issues are not resolved.
1: Some people are facing these problems now. Other people are going to be facing these same problems later. We cannot be afraid because if we don't fight, we're not going to be able to go and solve these problems. We cannot continue paying these 20% increases of $500 and up. We can't continue in these bad conditions.
0: The conditions tenants face should not be taken lightly. Major problems such as leaks, lead and rodents put the physical health and mental well-being of 54 Clark Averenters at risk. And the responsibilities fall on the landlords and property owners. Their lack of accountability and empathy for loyal tenants are what drives this need for resident rights and rent control.
2: We're not asking for anything impossible or anything unjust. We believe that our people deserve to live where they but they pay their rent at, you know, and if you pay your rent, an affordable rent which allows you to have a life, you should also be able to have safe and dignified housing, meaning that everything works, that there's no rats, no roaches, that everything is enough for you to raise your kids in a healthy environment, you know? But when you have rent increases of $400, it's, it's insane, you know, a job won't give you that much of a, a job, a paid wage increase, but they're giving it to you here when you're living, trying to make a life in your community.
0: The National Main Street Conference touched base in Boston this week, ending on Wednesday, but not before a group of Main Street leaders toured the Eggleston Square area to see all the neighborhood has to offer. Take a look. This week, Boston hosted the three-day 2023 Main Street Now Conference. On Tuesday, a group of Main Street leaders from cities across the country met in Eggleston Square to explore all the community has to offer while exchanging ideas and experiences within their own hometowns as part of a mobile workshop.
5: Where is everybody from? Can you just like shout out really quick places?
0: Colorado, Colorado,
5: Philly, Philly, Georgia. Georgia. Who's coming from the farthest? Tennessee, who's West Coast? New Mexico, nice. How many first time in Boston? Louisiana, cool. First time in Boston? All right, so welcome, sorry about the weather. It was really nice yesterday, if you got in yesterday. Yeah, it was beautiful. Today, not so
0: much. The day started at Stony Brook Station, where the group of small business-minded citizens received a brief history of the area. Gerald Robbins, Interim Assistant Director of Eggleston Main Street, led the tour, which featured speakers from community organizations and local businesses on the importance of creating community through the Main Streets program.
2: It's a way of kind of, Invest, reinvesting into our, into our neighborhoods, the way of kind of connecting uh, residents with business owners and community organizations, uh, and strengthening kind of the urban fabric around uh, different districts
6: around the city.
0: The beauty of the conference is the opportunity for participants to share ideas on how to improve community engagement and brainstorm ways to create more small business interaction in their communities.
6: People around uh, the state, well, around the United States, are having the same problems, the same issues, where they're trying to get uh, fill up their vacancies. They're trying to get people to communicate and network more. So, um, yeah.
0: The tour offered a walkthrough of several local businesses, including ULA Cafe, located in the brewery business complex. For over 15 years, ULA Cafe has served freshly brewed coffee and cafe eats to the Jamaica Plain community. So. Over here, we have Eggleston
5: Square, uh, many Spanish-speaking from Dominican Republic. Over here, we have $3 million buildings and white families, and we're in the middle of it. ULA has been around since 2007. It started by two uh, women named Kate and Corinne who wanted a community space for this area, wanted a space where we could physically gather.
0: Although the struggles of the pandemic nearly ended its story, the new owners are bringing the life and love back into the local spot.
5: There's only one way and that was up, you know, at yeah. that point in June of 2021. Yeah. So, but, um, but thank you. And I think, you know, a lesson learned on our end is having, you know, a landlord, having a community that supports you. I mean, people were like, are you worried? Is it going to go? I said, I'm not worried at all because this community feeds into this, I mean, literally feeds, but also like really supports this business.
0: And Ula Cafe isn't the only local business that relies on the loyalty of the Eggleston Square community. Both the video store and cafe, the VU has been a staple since its establishment in 2002. They relocated to their Eggleston Square location in 2014, where they continue to serve in-house roasted coffee and offer a wide variety of films from every genre.
4: We keep uh, a media library of about 16,000 feature films. We get new stuff every week. We have a lot of uh, hard to find things, a lot of deep cuts, a lot of non-English language films, a lot of things that are yeah, tough to see elsewhere. Uh, it all kind of works like a movie club, uh, flat fee, unlimited swaps, and there's perks and stuff built in, uh, subscriber screenings, um, you know, little swag packs for, you know, three month, six month annual memberships. Uh, but it's kind of like a community within a community, uh, which is great. Uh, and we've got... You know, there's always a few hundred movies checked out. Uh, We've had people uh, checking movies out here as long as the video underground up on Hyde Square has been around. The group
0: also spoke with Teronda Ellis, the CEO of Jamaica Plain Neighborhood Development Corporation. She and the JPNDC are determined to create a thriving, closer-knit community within Jamaica Plain and surrounding neighborhoods. We need a voice. If if there's nothing else that we have understood about this critical time in our nation's history, is that there has to be representation and there has to be voices
1: at the table that understand through lived experience what our businesses on the ground are going through. We have been historically locked out of that, and JPNDC
0: is really at the forefront of making sure that we use every opportunity that we have, every tool that we
1: can leverage to ensure that those businesses have an opportunity to sit at the table and lead those discussions from lived experience. That's critical. We haven't had that in the past, and we're not going to go back.
0: We're gonna keep pushing for that. The experience of meeting new people who truly care for their communities was priceless. And the knowledge shared in the Eggleston tour will be utilized by Main Street leaders once back home. Next time you go to the liquor store, you may no longer be able to buy small bottles of alcohol. Cities in Massachusetts like Chelsea, Faultmouth, Newton have already banned nips. And if the city councilor gets his way, Boston could be next. BNN's Alex Dowd has
6: more. These small bottles of alcohol, also known as singles or nips, may be taken off shelves of liquor stores across Boston. Owner of Huntington Wine and Spirits, Stephen Rubin, says that they're a popular item.
0: A lot of places don't carry them, so tourism, they're big for tourism. That's why our selection is the way it is. A miniature bottle, the 50 mLs, was created for tastings. Basically, before you buy a $60 bottle or
3: something, this is, this is really a tasting unit.
6: City Councilor Ricardo Arroyo says that banning bottles under 100 milliliters would benefit those with substance abuse issues and would help keep the city clean.
3: Like you, the problem with nips or singles is that essentially their, their primary use is concealment. Most people aren't trying to carry these around to, to properly dispose of them uh, or bring them back. And that is why they're all over the place in parks on the sides of streets.
6: He says that in his neighborhood, a group picked up 10,000 miniature bottles in just two months. But Boston resident Benjamin Zach is skeptical that banning these bottles will solve either problem.
2: Uh, yeah, it's, you know,
1: the small packaging can cruises, litter, it's bad for the environment, yada, yada, yada. But same thing with straws and cups and all these other things,
2: you know, and as far as the argument about it, uh, you know, preventing
1: people from holding, having concealed alcohol, uh, it really doesn't.
6: Stephen Rubin thinks that there are better solutions than a ban.
0: The key to the answer and the solution to this is recycling. If there's a nickel deposit on a miniature, do you realize how many people outside are going to pick up? Instead of cans, they're going to pick up nip bottles.
6: A representative from the Massachusetts Package Stores Association said that banning nips could also lead to a black market for mini liquor bottles. He compared it to an underground trade of flavored e-cigarettes. The Boston licensing board has already stopped allowing new liquor stores to sell these bottles. City Councilor Arroyo is holding a hearing at the end of April with officials from Newton and Chelsea to keep nips like these off streets and shelves. For BNN, I'm Alex Dowd.
3: My name is Kemata DeHage. I'm a bus operator and I've been at the T for 10 years. First of all, being a woman driver is ill because a lot, a lot of bus drivers are men. So I like being a bus, driver. I like being able to drive the bus and you know, with skills and safety, of course. The most fun thing for me is the customer service part of being a bus driver. I love people, I'm a people person. The good morning, the thank you driver. You never know when somebody gets on your bus what they're going through. They're nervous and they don't know everything about the T or the area and you answer them, that's a relief for them and that's important. And just that good morning can change their day. You know, that's the customer service. Harvest out the tea teaches us we're committed to actually moving the city safely. That is a very, very, very hard commitment, but we do it, you know? So I just want passengers to understand that, yeah, we are people too. Is this like a big family? We actually are. You would think so, we are We're a big family. We joke around, you know, we talk about the job. We have a lot of fun with each other. Cause sometimes you have to unwind, you know, you have to unwind with your job. Cause you know, driving a bus can be very stressful at times. You have to watch out for the vehicles. You have to watch out for the pedestrians. You have to watch out for the bikers. When When I interact with a passenger that is having an issue, make sure that they know I understand their frustration. And just by me doing that, it ends up being better at the end. Because I've been here 10 years and all the passengers that I've seen. Like I said, sometimes you can't please everybody. We are human. We are trying our best. So, you know, just give us a smile a little bit more. We want to see you guys smile. We will smile a little more as well.
0: Joining us today is Nigel Griffith, co-chair of the Bayard-Rustin Committee to share the upcoming Bayard-Rustin community breakfast at JFK Presidential Library and Museum next Saturday, April 8th at 9 a.m. The event spreads HIV AIDS awareness for the LGBTQ communities of color to inform, affirm, and empower us all in the continuing fight against the HIV AIDS. Here's our conversation.
2: Bear Rustin was an American civil rights leader and an author who was pivotal in the um, civil rights movement and the struggles as well as um, in the post Mm -hmm. war He fought uh, to end segregation, uh, worked to secure voting rights for African Americans and promote nonviolent civil uh, disobedience as a mean of achieving civil rights progress. He also uh, mentored youth leaders such as Dr. King, uh, Martin Luther King. I think a lot of people don't realize how instrumental Bayard Rustin was to Dr. King in shaping the 1963 march on Washington. I think most people know that, mm-hmm. but um, the name that you always hear synony- synonymous with that is, is uh, Dr. King. Um, but the, true, the truth about this was that Bayard Rustin was the architect behind the whole putting the march on Washington together. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the manager. And he also um, was—he was the first uh, openly gay person who challenged the NAACP uh, for equal rights for LGBTQ people, which a lot of people don't know as well, and um, you know, helping to shape um, the NAACP organization and policies. That he brought about.
0: Thank you for sharing that. And Saturday, April eighth, uh, is the thirty third annual Baird Rustin Community Breakfast. It's happening over at GFK Presidential Library and Museum. Yes. What does this breakfast mean to you, and who is this event for?
2: So, how I actually get involved in this breakfast was that um, some years ago I attended the breakfast and I sat in the audience and. Um, it was always asked after the event if you would like to join the committee, just please let us know. Um, in 2018, I decided I would like to be a part of it because I felt what the committee was doing was well needed for the community. But what I liked about it, it brought families, youth, and people in all of these communities together Mm. on one day, for one cause and one moment. And Mm -hmm. it, but also they recognize two individuals who are courageous Mm -hmm. and the other person that shows their strength in activism. And every year it has become A reality in honoring two people from the community uh, for the work that they do. And that to me spoke volumes, volumes. So what I decided to do, I wanted to be a part of this. So what it meant for me, it was that it was a sort of a call to action to join this committee and do what I can to bring it to another level and to in doing some service to the community.
0: Hmm. Thank you. And this year's theme is the many faces and races of HIV AIDS, the collective strength of survival. Um, I'd love for you to talk about how the face of AIDS has changed since the epidemic um, that first happened in the eighties and what does living with the disease mean now today?
2: So as you know, the first, one of the first cases was identified in the United States back in the uh, early 80s. Um, and it, 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 it really became an epidemic um, where people of color were dealing with this in huge numbers. Um, and what people felt once they got news that they were HIV positive it felt such as a death sentence to them Mm -hmm. fast forward today there's so many different treatments um, where people can manage the disease Um, i still think we are getting closer to zero but there's still a lot of work to be done And today what it means is that as long as people behave responsible, Mm -hmm. also I think once people know there is resources out there to help them, such as there is a new um, pill, those who are not HIV positive can take as a precaution called So a lot of that will be discussed at the breakfast this year and also with the community health centers that will be participating in the event. So it it is good for people in our community to know that this is available uh, because just so you know, the numbers are very staggering in the sense of where African-American lies in regards to uh, capitalizing on the resources Mm -hmm. for PrEP. So African-Americans today are at 8%. Latinos are about 14 to 15%, and Asian-Americans are around 20 or 30%. So there is a disconnect with our community not realizing that there is this drug that they can take just to protect themselves um, on all levels. Um, but, again, education is knowledge, and if they don't have that, it's, um, it's very hard for them to um, get this information or go to their community health centers, because all the community health centers have access to this.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Knowledge is power. And you you briefly uh, touched on zero infections. What will it take for us to reach zero infections when it comes to HIV, AIDS?
2: Well, I think one, the same energy that the world has put into COVID-19 within three years for us to come up with uh, some of the measures that make us all feel a little more comfortable with um, not wearing our masks like we were uh, in, in March 2020, 21, and 22. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you can remember those days. But those days were very difficult. Yeah. So I think if we put in the same energy, money, and time, and we keep HIV and AIDS at the forefront um, just as we did, I think we can get to zero. But I also feel we have to have more conversation with the population that this affects the most, which is uh, people of color, um, minorities, and those who um, are less fortunate than others. Um, So when we talk about um, institutions such as Fenway Health, AIDS Action, which is now a division of Fenway Health. I think this is very important that people know that they can get uh, information and resources from these type of institutes and know that these institutes are some of the leading institutions that are working with the federal government to come up with a cure. Um, because I think it could happen in our lifetime, but I think we just have to, and we have to bring everyone to the table, Yeah, have to, and because HIV and AIDS have no borders, just like COVID had none. Um, it affects us all around the world. So if we can just focus on that, um, just like we did for COVID, I think we'll be, in good shape.
0: I definitely hope we can and the
2: dialogue must continue.
0: For more information on the Bayard Rustin Community Breakfast, you can visit website aac.org forward slash Bayard. BNN News would like to pay tribute to the iconic civil rights leader Mel King, who died this Tuesday on March 28th. Born and raised in the South End, King was a champion of civil rights and the creator of the Rainbow Party of Massachusetts, now known as the Green Rainbow Party. King is most known for easing racial tensions in the city of Boston during his mayoral election campaign, where he and Ray Flynn, an Irish American from South Boston, had a civil and friendly relationship. This election came after the Boston busing crisis, when black students were forced to ride in segregated buses and subject to verbal and physical assault by anti-black residents. Mel King's recognition as a passionate city leader and his integral work as an urban renewal and anti-poverty organizer changed Boston forever. Rest in peace and power, Mr. King. Thank you for tuning in, Boston. As a reminder, you can stream or watch the news on demand at bnnmedia.org. Each episode will be rebroadcast at 9:30 and 11 p.m. on Xfinity Channel 9, Astound Channel 15, and Files Channel 2161. And make sure to check out our BNN HD Xfinity Channel 1072. You can also hear us on the radio Fridays at 6:30 and 9:30 p.m. and Monday through Thursday at 7:30 and 9:30 p.m. For BNN News, I'm Kate from I'll see you next Friday.